Good morning, good morning everybody. Welcome to church, welcome to South Bay Community Church, whether you're here in person, you're online, or back in the tent, or out in the lobby, wherever you are at, we are just so glad that you're here. My name is James, I'm one of the pastors here, and typically I would spend this time now giving you some announcements, but today, today I got the privilege and the honor of bringing you God's word, especially as we continue our series, What We Believe. Now, this series has been kind of a systematic approach to understand theology. And what theology is, it's the study of a God. And it's typically like a class that you would go to if you're in seminary or in Bible college. And it's all about understanding the core principles and beliefs that we have as believers. And so when we started this series, we started with God's word, with the Bible. We looked at it and we saw its authenticity. We saw its authority we saw its validity we saw its trustworthiness and then from there we began to examine the doctrine of the trinity how we believe only in one god but this one god is in three persons and then we began to look at the different persons within this trinity and we started with god the father and how god the father he exists and he has and we looked at his glory his majesty his sovereignty and then we began to examine his, all of his omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. And then we started to look at the second person within the Trinity. And that's the Son. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Who was both fully man and fully God. Being the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The only way to God the Father in heaven. And today what we want to do is we want to take even more time to look at Christ because he is so foundational to all that we believe. But what I want to do is take you through the scriptures to see a side of Christ that we typically don't look at or think about examining when it comes to the Son of God. And it's a little, it's a little confusing at times. It can be a lot of information. And so because of that, would you mind if I start our time in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, we come before you and we ask that today you would be our teacher, that you would help us to see, to understand the principles, the ideas, and the truths of Christ, because Christ is at the core of what we believe. And so God, help us to discover more. God, would you be our teacher to bring clarity to maybe some confusing or complicated ideas so that, God, we may understand and know Jesus more and more and fall in love with him more and more. God, help us to know truly what we believe. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, does anybody like riddles in here? Yeah, some of you guys? Okay, okay. I like riddles too, except, of course, when I don't get them. And actually, that happens quite a bit. But hey, that's besides the point. What I wanted to do real quickly was start off today's message with a couple who am I riddles, all right? So let me start with the first one. The first one goes like this. We'll put it up on the screen for you guys as well so you guys can try to figure it out as I read it. But the first one reads like this. It says, I have a heart that never beats. I have a home, but I never sleep. I can take a man's house and build another's. And I love to play games with my many brothers. I am a king among fools. Who am I? Any guesses? Some of you guys are just giving me a blank stare. That's okay. This was a hard for me as well. Uh, but it is the king of hearts in a deck of cards. You guys get it? Can build a house. King among fools. Doesn't heart that doesn't beat. 
Okay, let me give you another one, all right? It's a little bit easier. Hopefully more of you guys will get this. The second one goes like this. Tomorrow, I am surely here. Yesterday, I am found as well. Today, I am gone. Who am I? Any guesses? Some of you guys are kind of nodding. Some of you guys are thinking. Well, let me tell you guys the answer. I am the letter R. Do you guys get it? Because tomorrow has R, yesterday has R, but today... There's no R. Okay, let me give you one last one, okay? Uh, and just, I'm going to forewarn you guys. This one I made myself, I, I made up myself, so please forgive me. Please show me some grace if it's not as eloquent or doesn't make quite as much sense as the other ones. But this is how it goes. Who am I? Christmas wasn't my start, but when I was sent. Because I wasn't created, for I have no beginning and I have no end. Any guesses? This one, yeah, there we go. I am Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus Christ. We want to study him and get to know him better. And you know, Pastor Greg last week gave us a powerful message from the genealogy of Christ. And he showed us through four highlighted women how Christ came to save everyone and redeem everyone from every sin. But can I remind you guys of one thing? That that genealogy was for the birth of Jesus Christ when God became flesh. And this idea of when God became flesh is also known as God incarnate. And incarnate comes from the Latin verb meant to make flesh. So when we say that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, we mean that the Son of God took on a fleshly, bodily form, that he became man. But would you remember that Christ's existence it didn't start when he became flesh. See, the second person in the Trinity, Christ, was in existence before he came and was given the name Jesus. There was Christ before there was Jesus. And see, this theological truth is known as the pre-incarnate Christ. Or maybe some even consider it the pre-existence of Christ before he became flesh, before he became man. And I don't know about you guys, but this idea, it just blows my mind. It made me actually think of my niece, Charlie. This is a picture of Charlie. She's a cutie, and I just love her so, so much. She's only uh, just about 14 months old. And guys, I couldn't remember my life before her. But here's the thing. She didn't exist until her parents created her. But when it comes to Christ... Christ existed before his birth because he wasn't created, but instead he existed and became flesh and then came to serve and to save the lost. Now, maybe some of you guys are wondering, wait, where did he come from? Well, let's hear from Jesus himself. If you guys have your Bibles, would you guys turn to John chapter 6? You guys could take out your apps and follow along there as well. Or we'll put the verses up here on the screens for you too. But here, just to give you kind of a little bit of a background, Jesus is with his disciples, and they begin to grumble amongst one another. Parents, can you relate to this? Maybe you guys have been on a road trip with your kids, and they begin to fight and argue and get fussy. Now, parents, what would you guys typically say in this moment? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but my parents, they're Korean. And so they would say things in Korean and probably things that I cannot repeat here and say to you guys. But 
they were probably saying something to the effect that maybe most parents would say, and that is, guys, you better stop fighting right now or I'm turning this car around and going back home. And Jesus pretty much says the same thing as well. Take a look in verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Where was he before? Jesus, Jesus shares this in John 3, 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man descended from heaven. See, us mere humans, we don't descend, we begin. But Jesus, he came from heaven. He existed in heaven before coming to earth. And I think a lot of us, we get that. We understand that. We believe that. But I think for a lot of us, we also stop right there. We fail to consider his existence before Christmas or the New Testament. And here's the thing, guys. When I was prepping for this message, I was reminded that, yes, Christ, he existed before his birth. But I was also reminded and I learned very vividly that his existence wasn't just in heaven, though. See, Jesus wasn't just kind of waiting quietly on the sidelines or in the background until it was time for him to come. See, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know that I've been guilty of taking this, the Bible, God's word, and breaking it up, the old and the new, as maybe even two separate stories. And how the Old Testament is all about God the Father. And then the New Testament is about God the Son, Jesus Christ. But I almost looked at it as maybe God just kind of, you know, wearing one hat as God and then saying, okay, I'm going to take that hat off and I'm put on the hat of Jesus and I'm going to come down into earth. Almost like God just changed modes. But this is not the case. We need to understand that this, the Bible, is one complete story. And we need to study all of this, especially when it comes to Christ. See, because if our understanding of Christ is only from the New Testament, then we kind of have an incomplete picture of Christ. Or we only have part of the story. And I get it. It's understandable, right? Because the New Testament is rich with his physical presence, with his physical life, with his words. But guys, we, we need to get a fuller, more complete picture of Jesus. Because if we don't, then we might be missing something really valuable and important. And it kind of reminds me of this. Have you guys ever watched this movie, Avengers Endgame? Some Marvel fans in here? Some of you guys, yes. Some of you guys, no. Okay. Well, I think it's one of the best movies ever. And it's not just my opinion because it's the second highest grossing movie of all time. It earned over $2 billion in the theaters. Now, if you're one of the few people that haven't seen this movie yet, let me give you a brief synopsis. Okay. See, this movie is a culmination of 21 different movies spanning over 11 years leading to this final movie, the climax of the story. And the movie itself is over three hours. But, but just imagine that you only watched this one movie, that you didn't watch any of the movies before. Now, it wouldn't be fair, right, to make a judgment on the story or the characters only by watching this last movie, would it? You may be able to follow the story. You may even like it and appreciate it, even be captivated by it. But you really wouldn't truly understand it or comprehend it. You wouldn't be able to see the intentionality or the intricate ways that everything just fits together. 
or you wouldn't be able to grasp all the big and small nuances of the films and the characters. And you wouldn't be able to truly appreciate all that went into it, all the thought and all the time to tell this story. And this is true of Christ as well. Many times we, we only see the Old Testament as a place where it points to Christ or talks about Christ in prophecies and promises and typologies or in patterns. But here's the thing. We need to consider that Christ, he was existent before the New Testament. And his existence wasn't just in heaven, but he was there in the Old Testament as well. And if he existed during that time of years and years and years throughout the Old Testament, we should want to learn more. We should have a Christology, a study of Christ that is based not just on the New, but the Old Testament as well. Especially because Christ is such a central figure of all that we believe. And so today what I want to do is I want to show you through the Old Testament in light of what we know of the New Testament, the foundational truth of this pre-incarnate Christ. Because the truth of Christ existing before incarnation is so vital. Because if it isn't true, well, first of all, my riddle would be wrong. But secondly and more importantly, if it's not true, then our faith would be wrong as well. Because the preeminent Christ reveals three core beliefs that we have as believers. Number one, Christ was always present. Christ was always present. And number two, it tells us that Christ was always active as well. That Christ was present, Christ was active. And these two truths show us this undeniable truth. That Christ was, is, and will always be God. He truly is God. And so for, for us to learn this, let's go into the Old Testament together. And, and let's start at the beginning. The beginning of time as we know it. And so if you guys would, would you guys turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to just start right here in verse 1 as well. Here it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know the Hebrew word here used for God is the word Elohim. And Elohim is usually, in its Hebrew language, a generic term for God. And so maybe some of you guys wondered, like I wondered initially, what was the author trying to imply here using just this generic name rather than the personal or holy name that the Israelites called him, which was Yahweh. And I, I believe it's because the name Elohim, it, it gives insight to God that might be missed just at a simple glance. See, if we look at the word Elohim in its original language, the first part of Elohim, El, it means mighty or strong. And Elohim carries the idea of an all-powerful, unlimited creative power. And that makes sense, right? Especially as we are here at the beginning of all creation. But the more interesting thing I see is the last part of Elohim, Im. Because see, this part it's a plural noun. And in Hebrew, it suggests that there is more than one. And maybe some of you guys are like, wait, that's kind of confusing, Pastor James. What are you saying? Is saying that there, in the beginning, gods created the heavens and the earth? Doesn't that go against everything that we believe? Well, get this, all right, guys? Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, when it was written, Elohim, it was always used with singular verbs, which indicates only one. Elohim carries the idea of more than one person, 
yet only one, one being. Does, what does that sound like to you guys? To me, that's the Trinity. And so here in the Bible, one of the first names used for God, we see a picture of the Trinity being present at the start of everything. And through this, we may begin to start to realize that the pre-incarnate Christ, his presence was there at the very beginning. And the New Testament also, also testifies to this truth as well. Because take a look at what the author John wrote in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He said this, in the beginning, and he is stating the same beginning that we're talking about in Genesis 1-1. So in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So here, when they're talking about everything being made at the beginning of time, it tells us what was in existence. The word. So we see here that the word was not made or created. It existed before our time as we know it. And then secondly, it says the word was what? With God. And so it's saying that it's very distinct from God. Yet at the same time, if we look at the next following phrase, it says, but the word was God. And so maybe some of you guys are like, wait, what's going on? This, we're talking about the word. I thought we were talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. Who's the word? Well, John explains this a little bit later on. Take a look at verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory, at, glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The word is Christ. So based upon this. What we've learned in Genesis 1.1. Which says Elohim the Trinity was there. And what we see here in John. When he gives us the divine genealogy of Christ. We see that Christ was there. So this tells us that the pre-incarnate Christ present was there at the beginning but not only was he there at the beginning no it gives us also a picture that pre-incarnate Christ was also active in all of creation because take a look in Genesis let's go back to Genesis and look, look, let's look later on especially as God is starting to create man in verse 26 this is what it says it says then God said let us would you guys underline the word us if you guys are following along in your Bible let us let us make man in our would you underline that as well our image after our would you underline that too our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth do you see this it's saying god is implying let us not just God the Father, but all of us, the Trinity. Let us all have this active opportunity to create. See, the pre-incarnate Christ, we see his activity here as an active member in creation. And this, again, points to the truths that we find about Christ in the New Testament. Because Paul said it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, that he... Being Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Christ, is before all things. And in him all things 
hold together. Man, don't these verses in Colossians now just hit a little bit differently? Doesn't it just make more sense? I, I don't know about you guys, but when I thought about creation in the Old Testament, I rarely ever thought about Christ and his participation. And then when I read these things in Colossians, I, I didn't really always make the connection that Christ was actively. I thought it was just saying it in general sense. But no, we see here that Christ was actively, the pre-incarnate Christ was there, but it was also actively part of creation. And this is just so astounding. It's so amazing because as we consider that the Old Testament, it was written back in the Bronze Age between 1445 B.C. to 1290 B.C. It's old. It was literally thousands of years before the books of the New Testament were written. And yet they tie together so perfectly, giving us a glimpse of the Trinity, but more importantly, the existence of the Son of God, Son of God Christ pre-incarnate showing us that christ he existed before creation he was part of creation and also just acknowledging his identity and his deity as god because he was there before the beginning because he has no beginning and this is so important for us why guys i'm teaching you guys this and sharing this with you guys because there are many that don't believe this at all actually there are people that want to try to teach against this idea of christ being god there was a series that was brought to my attention that can be found on amazon prime and this series is called how jesus became god and this whole docuseries their effort is to try to show that man jesus was simply a man that somehow became a god because of the concoction and schemes and the accounts of humans, his human followers. But as we have just read through the Old Testament and the New, we know that Christ did not become God. No, Christ is, was, and will always be God. As we have witnessed, that's right, as we have witnessed through the pre-incarnate Christ's presence, his activity and divinity at the very beginning. So there in creation, we see it. That's my first example. Let me, let me show you one more example. Okay, this other example comes from the Old Testament as well, and it's a monumental moment in Scripture. It's when Moses encounters a burning bush. You know, this interaction is often called a theophany because it's an interaction between God and Moses. Right? And theophany comes from the Greek word theos, meaning God, and the Greek verb meaning to appear. So a theophany is an appearance of God. But here's the thing. I think we should consider that maybe many theophanies in the Old Testament, they should actually be considered as Christophanies, appearances of Christ, the appearance of Christ pre-incarnate. Why do I say this? Because take a look again what John had to say about God, but more importantly, about Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 18, he said, No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself God and his in closest relationship with the Father has made him. And, and that's why I believe that here in the burning bush is a Christophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. So let's take a look. Would you read with me in Exodus chapter 3? We'll start at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And so could you imagine, put yourself in Moses' shoes for a second and, and think about this. Moses is just going about his day, you know, taking care of his routine, daily activities. And then all of a sudden, poof, a fire shows up in a bush. But it's just not any fire. It's a fire that is not consuming or burning the bush. Now, when I was first thinking about this and reading about this, you know, I thought that Moses was a little crazy because he goes to see it rather than maybe running and going to try to extinguish it because I thought that would be my first reaction. And then I thought about it and I thought back to actually Easter. I don't know if any of you guys were aware of this. Maybe some of you guys were. But we actually had a fire in the back of the church in the dumpster. And you know what my first reaction was? Let me go see. Let me go look at this as well. But at some point, I wanted to go and extinguish it. But here's the thing. I don't want us to get lost with this burning bush alone. But I want us to be focused on who came in this burning bush. Would you guys look at verse 2 again? The angel of the Lord. Interesting, right? Kind of confusing, especially when we continue on. Because read with me. In verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for this place, the place on which you are standing, is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so Moses, he hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Now, maybe some of you guys are like, wait, James, wait, wait, wait. Just earlier, we read that it was the angel of the Lord. And now all of a sudden, it's God that is speaking? Is it God? Is it an angel? And wait, James, didn't you just say before studying this scripture together that we were going to see the pre-incarnate Christ? What's going on? Well, let me share something with you guys. See, the Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament for angel is the word malach. And it shows up over 200 times in the Old Testament. Malak is usually translated as angel, but a better and more literal translation is a messenger or a representative, one who is sent. And oftentimes those are angels, created beings, created to minister and be messengers of God. But, but there's one particular phrase that shows up over 60 times in the Old Testament, and it's Malak Yahweh. Malak Yahweh. And that is translated as the angel of the Lord. And see, when we read the Old Testament and we read that particular phrase, the angel of the Lord, Malak Yahweh, many theologians, many Bible scholars, they understand it to be uniquely pointing to one person. And that's not a created being like angels, but the uncreated Lord himself. Specifically, the second person of the Trinity, Christ. Because remember, remember, Malak doesn't necessarily mean a created being, but someone who is sent, a messenger or representative of God. And so this being, the angel of the Lord, is the messenger or representative of Yahweh. And we know from the New Testament, especially in just the scriptures that we read just earlier in Colossians, that Christ is the supreme representative of the invisible God. Take a look again at what Colossians 1.15 said. He, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
And so whenever the invisible God is representative in visible or physical form, through this specific identification, the angel of the Lord, Malak Yahweh, we can understand it as being Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, but pre-incarnate. Because he is the visible representative of the one sent by the invisible God. And so studying this, guys, I've learned that Jesus Christ was not just sent in the New Testament, but he was sent in the Old Testament as Malak Yahweh. See, we can take away from this understanding of Malak Yahweh and Moses' exchange with the angel of the Lord that this is no angel. This has to be the pre-incarnate Christ because look at its claims. Its claims was to be God. It spoke as God and it claimed and exerted the prerogatives of God as well. And there is no angel who would ever claim to do that. There is only one, though, that can fit the description as a messenger, the ultimate messenger, and as God himself. And who is that? That is Christ. And you guys, you want to know something super interesting as well? That once the incarnation of Christ happened, once Jesus became flesh in the New Testament, this specific being, the angel of the Lord, Malak Yahweh, doesn't appear again. But here's the thing, guys, real quickly. This is just my study, and I just want you guys to be really careful when you examine the scriptures that you would always look at the original language or try to read it in context because sometimes you might read an angel of the Lord or angels of the Lord, and these are created angels, messengers of God. But whenever you come across, especially the specific instances of the angel of the Lord, and you look through the context and all that is being said, and it says, and it's Malak Yahweh, you are seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. And so here, Moses in the burning bush, we see a Christophany, a Christ's appearance through the pre-incarnate Christ the angel of the Lord. And then we see its activity as the messenger of God the Father as he commissions the rescue and the redeeming of his people. And we see the pre-incarnate Christ identify his divinity and his identity with his words and through the supernatural state of a burning bush. But if that isn't enough to convince you that Christ is God, take a look at what the angel of the Lord said later on in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. See, when God said, I am who I am, repeating I am twice, he is stating his name, Yahweh. His name is forever. God is saying in effect that he is and his period, self-sufficient, self-sustaining God and God alone. That he is the eternal one who has no beginning, has no end. This statement, I am, speaks to his identity, his being, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience for all of time. And get this, someone else says I am as well. And that's Christ. When he's in flesh. When he's being accused and asked by the Jews, who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than the prophets? Take a look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I don't know about you guys, but this gave me the chills. It's so powerful. See, this statement of Christ, it might just go over our heads if we're only looking at Christ through the New Testament. This claim of Christ being I am. But because of what we learn through the Old Testament, seeing the pre-incarnate Christ claim the name that's only reserved for Yahweh as well, 
Man, Jesus is claiming it too. And this is why those Israelites, the Jews, were responding this way to picking up stones and wanting to throw at him because he was, in their eyes, committing blasphemy because there's only one God. Guys, do you see how the old and the new come together and provide such a fuller and more complete and accurate picture of Christ? And guys, there is so much more that is in here, especially in the Old Testament, that teaches us about Christ. And so I want to encourage you guys, you know, don't just stop at these two examples that I have given you, but search out this scripture. See and learn about the preexistent Christ, how he existed before his incarnation. And you guys will see over and over his presence and his activity, and you will see that this validates Christ's identity and his eternal nature. That Christ is, was, and will always be God. That's why we need to make sure we understand and we need to read all of this, the old and the new, so that we can have a more complete picture of Christ. Because if we don't, then we might just have an incomplete picture of Christ. If we have an incomplete picture of Christ, we might have an incomplete view and understanding of Christ. And this can lead to a wrong understanding of Christ. Guys, have you ever seen or watched this game? I, I like to watch this game with my wife. We're, we're at home, dinner, Wheel of Fortune. And, and if you guys don't know what Wheel of Fortune is, it's kind of a game, it's a game show where people are trying to figure out words or phrases. And, and so it's kind of like hangman. People start guessing letters. And suddenly when you guess the letter correctly, it starts to appear. And if you guess right, you get some financial prize value that attached to that. Well, back in 2018, a person thought they were about to win some money. They thought they had the right answer because they were only missing just one letter. Here, take a look. Can you guys guess from this what the right answer is? Some of you guys are saying it. Some of you guys are saying what this person said. See, guys, for whatever reason, this contestant so confidently answered when given the opportunity to guess said bridal and gold shower. Some of you guys are laughing, some of you guys aren't, and that's okay, because I thought maybe it might be that as well, but the correct answer was bridal and cold shower. But here's the thing, guys, they only were missing one letter. They had most of the picture, but they still got it wrong. And because of that, they lost out on the prize. See, what's on the line for us when it comes to Christ is so much more important and so much more valuable than any earthly treasure. We can't get Christ wrong. So we must desire to know him more and more and more. Because here's the other thing. If we don't have a fuller and accurate picture of Christ, we can also be deceived. We're told over and over throughout scriptures that there will be false prophets, there will be false teachers, that there will be those that are wolves in sheep's clothing, that the enemy, he will come appearing as an angel of light. That even Satan, and when you consider Satan and his interaction with Jesus, when he tried to tempt Jesus, do you know what it was his main ammunition? His main weapon? It was scripture. He often tried to use scripture, but it was out of context, or it was twisted, or it was missing little details. Guys, I remember when I was deceived in this way. See, back, back, back a long time ago when I was in college, I was attending El Camino. And I remember walking onto the campus as a young freshman, not really wanting to be there. Because 
even at that time, I knew and I wanted so badly to be a pastor. So I wanted to be at a Bible college. I wanted to be going to seminary. But my parents were like, come on, we work too hard. You need to give it a shot. So I went. And I remember walking on campus one day, and I remember someone coming up to me and asking me, hey, do you know Jesus? I'm like, of course I know Jesus. I'm going to become a pastor. Yes, me and Jesus, we're tight. We're like this. And then he was like, okay, cool. Like, can I ask you another question? He's like, well, if Jesus were to walk on campus, would you recognize him? Like, of course. What silly question is that? Do you not know me? I'm, I'm a teacher at my church. You know, I work with the high school students. Of course, like, I'm going to become pastor. And then he began to throw out scriptures and questions. And I began to doubt. And I began to question my understanding and my beliefs of Jesus. And I, I'll tell you, you know, having grown up a little bit more, in my faith and a little bit bigger physically, I've, I've, I've learned a little bit more about Jesus. And now I know that I, those same questions wouldn't fool me or deceive me. But back then, it totally did. And see, if we don't have a right understanding of Christ, we can be wrong about who we think he, he is. Because the enemy will use these types of tactics. He's been using it all throughout time. I mean, take a look at the world religions and how he has deceived people in regards to who they believe Christ to be. I mean, the religion of Islam. Do you guys know that they believe Jesus was born of a virgin? Do you know that they believe Jesus is to be revered? Do you know that they also believe that Jesus ascended to heaven and will come again? But here's the big difference. They believe that Jesus was simply a prophet. And then there's Judaism, where Christianity was born out of. They believe that Jesus was born, that he was Mary's son that he was respected, that he was a miracle worker. They even believe that, yes, he was crucified on the cross, but that's where it ends because they just believe he was a man. Just like Buddhists do. And then Hindus, they believe that Jesus is just one of many gods. And then there's Jehovah Witnesses that believe Jesus was an angel, a mighty angel, but a created angel nonetheless. But they are so wrong because we learn through the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ was not created. That he was not just a man or a prophet. Through the pre-incarnate Christ, we see that Christ was always present, always active, and he will, was, is, and will always be God. So guys, we must get this right when it comes to Christ. And the only way to do so is through his word, old and new. And guys, what's on line for us is our lives, our souls, our eternities. Guys, today I started off this message with who am I riddles. And the reason I did that was because Jesus asked his own who am I question. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Now it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Do you see this? He first asked his disciples, who do other people say that I am? And their answers are similar to today's, to today's current time. People are saying the same thing, that he was a prophet or a man or a great teacher. 
But then from there, Jesus did something else. He looked at his disciples and he asked them directly. And he made it personal. And he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And today, I want to make it personal as well. Who do you say Christ is? Because one day you will have to answer that question. And no one can answer it for you. Who do you say Jesus is? You don't want to get this wrong. You don't want to get this who am I question wrong. So I pray that today you would have a better and a fuller, more importantly, a more accurate picture of Christ through all that we learn through the pre-incarnate Christ today. How do we learn more about it? By reading through scriptures and learning more and more so that we can understand more and more. And you know what, guys? It's so important to learn more and more about people. And I've discovered this, especially as I started to work with young couples. Because I've worked with young couples, especially as they're moving towards marriage, I've gotten the chance to sit with them and counsel with them, give them some premarital advice. And one of my biggest advices is, hey, you need to learn as much as you possibly can about this person that you are about to marry and give your life to. First of all, because that's a huge decision. Right? You don't want to go into it and be like, who is this person? You want to know them as completely as you possibly can. And guys, wouldn't it be even more wise to know all that we can, especially when making the decision to give our lives to Christ? There is no greater decision. And second reason I tell couples to continue to learn all that they can about each other is because of love. When I first met my wife, guys, we barely talked. And I have the text on my phone to prove it. Like when we first met each other, it was years and years before. It was back like 12 years ago. And she started helping out and serving in our youth ministries. And so the only text or only conversations that we have was this. James, sorry, I'm running late. Okay. James, sorry, I'm running late. Okay. James, I'm sorry, I'm running late. Okay. That was basically it. But here's the thing. The more and more that I got to know her, the more and the more I fell in love with her. And I've come to see that intimacy and love can grow with more and more knowledge. And there is no greater love, no greater intimacy than th that we can know or experience than with Christ. So I implore you to pursue Christ more and more through the scriptures. Because as we learn today, there is so much here. And so today, I end by sharing the same hope and prayer that Peter wrote to the persecuted Christians in Rome. As they were living in a society much similar to us, being persecuted, laughed, being mocked, many other lawless ideas and teachings of Christ were beginning to float around. And then this is what he said to them, and this is what I'm praying for each and every one of you. 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. God, I come before you confessing that, God, sometimes I, I, 
I have felt and have thought that I have known that there, all there is to know about Christ. Yet, God, through the course of studying for this, this, this sermon, I've come to realize there's so much more to know, so much more to learn. God, just examining your pre-incarnate form has taught me so much, and I pray that it has taught all of us the truths of how you were always present, that you were always active, and this points to how you were, you are, and you will and that Christ will always be God. God, I pray that we will continue from today forward searching out the scriptures to know more and more about Christ because we do not want to get Christ wrong. But God, more importantly, God, help us to search out and pursue Christ more and more and know more about him because of love. God, you told us in your scriptures that we can know all things. We could be prophets and we could prophesy and do all of this, but it's worthless without love. And so, God, help us to pursue Christ because of love, because there is no greater love that we have seen or experienced or can experience with Christ. So help us, Lord, to know you more and more. Thank you, Christ for coming, for existing, and giving your life away so that we can be forgiven and be right with the Father in heaven. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.